Good morning, boys and girls. It's time for Make Us a Mixtape podcast. My name is Paul Farvar. <laughs> I'm Marty DeRosa. And today we are doing this podcast via Zoom with one of our favorite comedians, J.F. Harris. We will bring him in in a second. You can see him maybe if we do this on YouTube, but we're in a lot of trouble with YouTube yeah, right now. We're the bad boys of, uh, of music podcasts on YouTube. <laughs> the big shots. It's all the big shots. So I don't think we're yeah. going to have a problem this week. It's your Madonnas, it's your Van Morrison's, it's your, I bet like Eric Clapton would fucking Yeah, we're not, he'll never be on a list. But yeah. here's the thing, they forget that uh, your boy over here, Paul Farvar, was a excellent entertainment lawyer for about six months. So <laughs> bring it Paul handles, your copyrights. Paul handles all my entertainment legal needs. <laughs> uh, you know, he's gotten, uh, yeah, he's gotten a lot of trademarks passed that we had some trouble with. Yes. And uh, and we're, we're back with a guest now. We, we yes. had a very controversial Counting Crows episode. Yes, we're back. <laughs> this one's uh, via Zoom. Uh, if you have any issues with anything we've done, uh, paulmartymakes at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up. But right now, we're going to introduce J.F. Harris. If you can't see it, he is driving right now. This the is our first. first. Make us a mixtape first. JF, you are the first driving uh, podcast guest. I mean, isn't that where you're supposed to listen to a mixtape is in your car? You're supposed Absolutely. to Also, the people listening to this podcast are probably driving to work or as well or something like that. You should probably jump in Paul's car <laughs> and do this the right way. Yeah, uh, yeah that is true. And, and uh, so you mentioned being in the car and it is the right place to do this uh did you make mixtapes for people back in the day oh absolutely yeah i mean i i still uh i was like briefly dating a woman a couple of months ago and i made her two oh, two, right. se two separate mixes stop right there i want i want to hear all about it do you build it up like oh this music you're listening to i, I don't know about this let me make no no, no 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 she had amazing taste in music she had, like, she had like really good taste in music and she was into like everything from like of Montreal to mm -hmm. like Southern hip hop, like bounce, like trap hip hop kind of music. So she had like a really cool variety and taste. She was like super smart lady. And uh, there was just like a couple things where I was like, oh, if you like this, you'll probably like this. And she was like, oh, I don't know, suicide. And I was like, oh man. And then I would just like, you know, I was just like, these are all my favorite jams and just like, and you, then, you know, and then you make the sexy playlist too. Wow! Yes. Did you uh, make? Were you the tastemaker in your group when you made mixtapes, or were you kind of like, what were the basis when you first started making mixtapes? No, I would say uh, the basis. It was just stuff you could get off of Z100 that you wanted to listen to again. Z100. Like when I first what? That was Z100 was the radio station in New York. Okay. That was like the kind of poppy. So you know, it was where you would go and get your like. Who was a DJ you know, in that we would know? Elvis. Uh, El yeah, Elvis Perkins yeah, was yeah, the, yeah. the morning guy. And you would get, you know, that's where you would go and get like Adult whatever they, Yeah, it was like you would get like whatever your like, you know, life is a highway and like <laughs> you were putting crisscross. You were putting that on all your mixes back then? A little. I uh, mean, it was definitely uh, on a mixtape when I was in kindergarten or first grade for sure. Okay. And, and what, uh, what technology are we using at this time when you're making, when you're in the, the, the heart of your mixtape making days, what, what tech are we using? I, I was going straight, like my dad had this um, big, like probably like a Marantz record receiver slash tape deck in our basement. And I would like literally play it off this like old school giant, like beautiful silver receiver, which is like 
very similar to my record receiver I have now. And I think part of the reason I was like so drawn to the record receiver I have now is because it kind of reminded me of the one that my dad kept in the basement. Did it, did it have that big knob? Yep. So smooth. Big, you could just big like, knob. Bruh. Yeah. Ah. Big knob. So smooth. I, uh, silver. Really cool light up lights with all like the record stations that goes across it. Mine has like a blue light on it. But. Yeah, my uh, during the quarantine, I sold all my parents' old seventies and eighties gear. Pioneer twenty three hundred. I mean, it was it was the bomb. But I just there was nowhere to put it. We had to we had to get rid of everything in the house. So, but yeah, those yeah. are great. Yeah, I mean, record players are my favorite thing in in the world. Like having my record player. Are you guys still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Um, Otherwise, but also, but also at the same time, like it is the biggest pain in the ass in the world. Like I buy records almost compulsively. And it's funny as we get into this list, I'll talk about some of the stuff I've been buying lately, but the uh, it's yeah. Like when you have to move and I literally have a thousand records, it is a nightmare. Yeah. That's it's part of the reason why I think I haven't moved back to New York. It's just because of the fact that I don't want to move a thousand records from Los Angeles to California. Uh, to New York City. Like, I remember back in the day, like moving my CDs cross country. And now it's like, oh, how silly, what a silly time that was. But the record collection, because CDs, I mean, you can get rear-ended and you're like, ah, my CDs are probably fine. But a, a record collection, I would be so scared. Oh, terrified. And like, you got to pick the right time of year to drive cross country because of the fact that if you, like, you know, if it's too hot in Texas, you can't leave a thousand LPs in a car. Yeah. No, it is crazy. And I, and that's true. The CDs, I remember back when I had uh, over a thousand CDs, I had to, I had to insure CDs. Did you guys ever do that? Like where, where no. the only thing I had when I first, were you a here, DJ? No, I just had a lot. Of, I was a DJ in high, in college and in high school. Yeah. But, uh, but that wasn't, it were CDs. They weren't albums. But um, I remember the only thing I had of value was my CDs. When this, the insurance company would be like, all right, what do you have? I'm like, she's like, what furniture do you have? I'm like, uh, I have a bed, but I have these CDs. And now they're like not worth a dime. Him and his they're worth about a buck each. That, that's one of, I started buying, I, I haven't been doing it lately, but there was a period where I definitely started buying CDs again too. Cause you could go get like, any record you ever wanted for a dollar, yeah. like in LA at um, Amoeba Music. And it would just be like, well, fuck yeah, I want Yankee Hotel Foxtrot for a buck. Yeah, what's a, what's a what's a What's a uh, album go for now? Like at your uh, average, a, an average a Like a vinyl? It depends. Yeah. Um, it depends on like, is it a reissue? Is it new? Is it old? Like what kind like, you know, sometimes you find things new and you're like, holy shit, You and Me by The Walkman is only 18 bucks. I got to buy this. Okay. But then, like, you know, you buy, a, you buy a box set of, like, a Childish Gambino record and it's, like, $40. Yeah. And you could buy used, you could buy used albums for about five bucks, too, five, six bucks. Like, good quality ones. Yeah. How much of your record? Yeah. Yeah. You in like if, sorry say that one more time marty i broke up a little bit how much of my record collection is of your record collection how much is new stuff and how much is repurchasing like old albums that you're like i have to have 
you know, this Wilco album? I would say, I would say it's probably 50, 50. I would say it's like 50%, like, cause I started collecting records when I was 17 years wow. old. And like back then you could just go into like any Goodwill or Salvation Army in the country and find like a Beatles Abbey Road for a dollar. Right. Would you and ever now it, be at a thrift store? Would you, uh, ever, would you ever be at a thrift store kind of go and you see a guy like you and you're like, oh, this guy's here for the good stuff too. And you get like a little competitive. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're on other sides trying to dig to see who can get to the middle quicker. Yeah. yeah. Do you, um, so going back to when you first started making CDs, were you, you said you were making, you said how you made them. Who were you making your, your uh, mixtapes for? And these are, um, my, right? I, I, I mean, the original ones were kind of just for me and my friends. And then later on, kind of, um, maybe a girl here and there, but for the most part, they were like me and my friends. Did you get into like Napster and stuff? Big time. I missed when I got my first computer that could work on Napster. I missed a week of school, just downloading music. Do you remember? Any like I just told my, uh, it was like a lot of like smashing pumpkins, Nirvana. We lost you after Nirvana. Just frozen. Like that was that period. Oh, I said it was a lot of smashing pumpkins, Nirvana, stuff like that. Cause that's when I was in junior high and it was that time in my life. Did you ever have like a full, uh, sort of like, uh, you know, how kids do sometimes where it's like, now I'm just into hip hop or now I'm just into like grunge. Yes. A hundred percent. Every year I would switch what I was into in high school. <laughs> and like switch how I dressed. So what were so the like, freshman to senior year, if you remember? Um, so junior high was like grunge for me. Okay. That's when grunge was like huge. That was Nirvana, Foo Fighters, like, stuff like that. What year are we talking? Um, that would have been uh, like 94 to 97. Okay. And then there was always a little bit of hip hop because I'm from Staten Island. But then like around the time I got to high school is when all the bad boy record stuff came out. So like all the Biggie, all the Puffy, all the Mace. And then like rock kind of died at that point. Like a little bit of dance music too. In like my freshman year, like there was a kids who wrote graffiti. So I started getting into graffiti and then I started dressing more like graffiti-ish, if that makes sense. Like a lot of wide-legged pants. But there was definitely a period when I was like into dance music and stuff like that too. <laughs> a lot of Janko jeans, stuff yeah. like that. Yes. Where did you have a, a serious opinions about the East Coast West Coast rivalry? I had a real love for the Chronic. Yeah. Did you, did you smoke weed because of the Chronic? I did not smoke weed because of the Chronic. I smoked weed because I uh, lived in New York. Okay. And everybody smoked smoked weed at that age. I probably more likely smoked weed because of Method Man than anybody else. So as somebody who grew up in Indiana, I'm thinking, was your childhood like the movie Kids? Um, I lost, I skipped out on the end of that movie to go lose my virginity. Wow. That's, kind of, that's probably a better idea. Yeah, that's probably a better idea. Somebody, uh, somebody loved that kids joke right there. They, they got it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, and then you, you get into the more 
thought-provoking hip-hop you mentioned like the jurassic five yeah i go through like a jurassic five all the ruckus record stuff the most deaf i like really get into tribe hulk quest i start wearing a lot of triple five soul uh so i'm leaving like my velour jumpsuits behind and starting to dress a little bit more like a grown man what was the dance music and, you were into oh just like really bad club music when I was in like junior high and high school, there was a brief period where I was doing a lot of break dancing and club promoting when I was yeah. in high school. Okay. So, so yeah, we... it was. Go ahead. Which, uh, yeah. So in yeah, so in high school, I kind of went through like all these different phases, and like Wu Tang was always kind of in the center of that phase, if that makes sense. Um, and so, and so like. Yeah, I was like, when I got to high, uh, like, also in that same period, like, I kind of got into Dave Matthews' band a little bit. Uh, we all did. We all made mistakes. So, so what's yeah. the mixtape looking like around this time? A mixtape then? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, it would be like The Roots, uh, like that Rozelle Roots record, mm -hmm. uh, like that beatbox stuff. It would be um, Dave Matthews' band. It would be... Wu-Tang Clan. It was, it was like, I've always kind of had a pretty eclectic taste in music, but then it was like kind of truly insane. Um, you know, like Coldplay's Yellow, that album would have been on there. It was a very big album at the time. Sure. Trav awesome. Travis would have been on there. Yeah. yeah. I, love, I love Travis. Little Circles, yeah. So you never yeah. gave up on rock. You never fully gave up on rock. I never fully gave up on it, but I, I was just listening to the stuff that other people, that was just around that kind of other people. Mm -hmm. I was listening to like the shit that was on the radio and not necessarily like what I thought. Maybe David Gray. I would have been into some oh, David oh, Gray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a 1999, 2000 era. There was a lot of those adult contemporary songs are really good. Yeah, and I, I grew up on like Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen so that stuff kind of appealed to me a little bit all right and then what changes that um that strokes record came out okay and it it just um this is it came out um and i had gone i graduated high school uh i went like back i went like with my family to ireland and like you just kind of heard about the strokes a little bit when you were in the UK and you're like, Oh, that's weird. There's this like band, American band that's super popular here. Mm -hmm. And then a year later I went back on my, maybe it was a year or two years later. Like I just remember that new year's Eve after that first strokes record came out, like that, the, the song that I picked for the first song on the playlist was like our new year's Eve anthem. Yeah, You know what I mean? And like, it, it's so funny because th this like little block in time in rock and roll kind of also hit at the same time when I was like first living on my own, first discovering who I was as a person. I had just moved to like, it's around the time I like was living in London and then moved to Chicago. And like, so like when I lived in London, the strokes were massive. and like all of those strokes rip off bands too, like the Cooper Temple Claws and like, not that, not to 
shit on the Cooper Temple Clause, but like, you know, bands like that. And I, I just got so like, it felt like our music, if that makes sense. You know, it felt like music for people in their 20s who drank a lot and were like into art. And it, there was just something about, it was like reminiscent of everything I grew up on. And like, you know, at that point I like had heard the Velvet Underground and I had, but it felt like our kind of version of that. I, I like to think that members of the Strokes were also at one point wearing Jinkos and break dancing and promoting hip hop shows. I 100% would not be shocked if that was true. Yeah. Because like you, like, you know, those dudes were all into all that same stuff. They were like playing in a metal band before yeah. they found their sound for the Strokes. Yeah. And you mentioned Europe and they like specifically went to Europe to kind of get famous to come back here. Like it was all by design. Very, very smart. Yeah. They broke over there through that EP through Rough Trade Records. Yeah. And like also when I was over there, like my second trip over... I was like in a record shop in Ireland and I like that, that Kings of Leon record came out. And when that Kings of Leon record, I remember being in a record shop in Ireland, it was playing on the radio and I was like, picked up the album and I was like, everyone's talking about this record. It's so good. And then 10 minutes later, I said to the guy, what are you playing? It's amazing. And he was like, that record you picked up like 10 minutes ago and said, everyone's saying it's so good. Okay. Well, wait, you have both of these on the, on the mixtape that you chose, but before yeah. the actual mixtape, what are the songs that, that didn't make the cut? Cause I know that. that oh my God. It, it was so hard for me. Um, yeah. We, the, we are going to talk, we're going to get into it in a second here. I just want to see what, what were the ones that didn't make it and why, and what's the, what's the theme here? Okay, so the theme is pretty much the music I was listening to in the early 2000s uh, that I recently really have gotten back into. Like, I'm totally going through, I don't know if I would call it a midlife crisis, but this is the music in my early 20s that super inspired me. Yeah. Uh, and it was like during that period when I was living in Chicago and super influenced like the way I was dressed and like the kind of like hard and fast living I was doing in that time period and being like a young artist and wanting to be an artist. And also I'm about to shoot my first stand-up special right now. And like, I find all of this music like really inspiring. Um, so the shit that didn't make the cut um, was Pavements Right in the Corners. Uh, it was one of those records. Uh, a couple of Spoon records I really wanted to put on. Like all stuff that's like similar to this time period that was super important to me. Were there, any, just, were there any of those bands back then that you were just like, nah, I ain't buying that one? Cause we did see a lot of the clones, the Strokes clones. Were there any that you were like, nah. Yeah, I never got, I never cared about the vines. Okay. I never cared about the hives. Um, so the MTV, the, the, band, the, the, the MTV battle, the garage bands didn't interest you at the VMAs? No, it had zero fucking interest Strokes to me. Did. They said, we don't want any part of this, yeah. Yeah. and. And uh, who were the other, who was in that? It was three bands. It was the Hives, the Vines, and somebody else. Uh, good question. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Also, there was some LCD sound system songs I wanted to put in. Basically, yeah. all the bands that are mentioned in Meet Me in the Bathroom. Right on, which is one of our favorite yeah, books. Yeah, we talk about the book all the time. Yeah. It's, I know, yeah, he was telling me you guys talk about it. I just reread it on this trip and it really made me like go back in and dive into all this stuff. And then I started going out and buying all this stuff again. Like I bought the first Strokes record on vinyl when I was in the UK, when I was backpacking, when I was 
18 or 19 years old. Yeah. I think it was 19. So I have it with the European cover with the hand with the glove over the lady's vagina yes. with like New York City cops on it and shit. Yeah. So I've, I've like, yeah. Which was a no-no here because of 9-11. We couldn't play New York City. I, I know. Now, now people, now everyone knows it again, which is so yeah. funny. So before we jump into your mix, I, get, I ask this question a lot to people, especially somebody like you who lived through that. Do you think we could 9 11 era of that where rock becomes like, oh shit, rock's back again? Yes. Like way. I think so. I think it'll happen. I mean, I think it got, I mean, the Kings of Leon and the Black Keys have been arena rock bands sure. it, since this time period. Sure. So I don't think it's g gone away. I just don't think there's been a good scene in a long time. I, I just wonder if there'll ever be a time where like you go to your family's house for Thanksgiving and like your nephew comes in just like black jeans and a band t-shirt and a, a jean jacket. And he's like, I'm in eight, I'm in like seventh grade. This is how everybody dresses now. Like, I like rock and roll again. I mean, I got for Christmas this year, I bought all three of my nephews Levi's jean jackets. I took them to the Levi store in Manhattan. Uh, I got let them all pick out a patch and then had their names chain stitched uh -huh. in the back of their jacket. What an uncle. That's, That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah, you got to be rock and roll with them. What do you think of, I, well, Kings of Leon just put out a new album too. I haven't, I haven't listened to it, but I've heard bad things. And it's okay. It's, I mean, it's not, that's the thing. This, on this, like. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And then to talk about Marty's point, what, have you listened to Greta Van Fleet? Because they're kind of bringing, they're the band that they said we're going to bring rock band back. And uh, no, I've never even heard, I've never even heard of them. Oh, really? Wow. They, they sound like a lot like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. That's kind of like the knock on that they sound oh, okay. like Led Zeppelin cover yeah. band. Yeah, that's, but the funny thing is, that's not my kind of rock and roll. Like, I yeah. like like Velvet Underground, Talking Heads, like, New you York. know, Bruce Springsteen, television, like all those kinds of bands are more my. You know, but I do like a dad rock. I love a Wilco. I love a spoon. But yeah. for, but like, I was never like a Zeppelin guy. That's a, Paul doesn't realize that that's considered dad rock. Like that's Paul's, not dad rock. Dad rock is Bruce Springsteen. No, Let's Foo up. Fighters are dad rock. Yeah. That's Foo dad. Fighters are dad rock. Yeah. Wilco well, I is that Wilco's dad rock. <laughs> craft beer dad rock. Wilco's craft, craft beer. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's phenomenal. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's we got to start playing it. these songs. Uh, number one, I love how you start a mix. You got to start, in my book, you got to start a mix fast. This guy plays these like shoegazing songs for your first song, which wait, is not right. Here's wait, hold on. Can, can I ask one question? Did I put Clap Your Hands Say Yeah on this? No. No. Uh, that was but, the other great one. Band. Great band. That is the other one I almost put on and ran out of space. And I just want to acknowledge how great that first Clap Your Hands Say Yeah record was. Because in similar to how this is kind of a contained period, they were kind of the end of that period. Clap your hands, say yeah. They were like that last group of like Brooklyn rock bands, like the Panda Bear and all that. And I think they were kind of the best of that psychedelic indie rock kind of stuff. Anyway. Okay. All right. You start with a classic. Uh, I mean, this everything you've said so far, this makes sense. Last Night by The Strokes. Very dancing in your car. So, Not moving anymore. Thank I you. remember hearing, yeah, I pulled up. oh, you got to hear this band, The Strokes. got to hear this band, The Strokes. You start going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you hear this song and you go, oh, that's pretty good. And then you see the video, that low budget, 
low budget looking video and you go, oh man, holy shit. Like this is fucking New York cool. I'm in Indiana going, oh baby, this is New York cool. Like I'm fucking into this. I started wearing suits because of this band. <laughs> I was like a 21 year old wearing a suits, Chuck Taylor's Converse shirt and a t-shirt. Yeah. I had like a Bob Dylan t-shirt that I got at Strange Cargo when it used to be on Clark in Chicago. And that was like my uniform every day when I lived in Chicago. Um, and also when you're like a 20 year old drunk, it's like the coolest thing in the world because you look like disheveled rock and roll cool. Right. And at the same time, you don't have to pick out pants that don't look weird on you. Yeah. There's no wrong move. There's no wrong move. The jackets can't be too small or they yeah. can't be too tight or too. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's such a fun look. I, I did want. I have strong opinions about the strokes. Uh, I, I'm not a fan mm -hmm. and I know that that, that bothers I, people. But uh, I, I, reading that book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, that book felt like all they talked about was the strokes and LCD sound system. And it was like, was that, was that what it was like in New York? I in New York? Yeah. Yeah, that was what it was like in New York. Like everyone was just like the fucking strokes. Nobody talked about LCD. I, or maybe not the scenes I was in, but nobody talked about LCD sound system. Like everyone, like those bars they're talking about, like 2A and like, you know, all those were the places where we got fucked up as teen, like in our early 20s, teenagers. And like during that whole transition into the Williamsburg thing, like it was crazy. What's, like, the, Williams I let, what's the Williamsburg thing? Uh, like where like Interpol and the yeah, 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 and all them and oh, TV on the radio were all making records. Like it was this like bombed out gross part of Brooklyn that all these like young kids moved to because there were lofts. And then like that Brooklyn scene popped out of and like, yeah, like the Mercury Lounge and like Lit Lounge is like where we would later do like stand up shows and my friends' bands would play. And it's like, it definitely felt like at any moment, like, we were all about to get famous. Like that's what the strokes kind of did for everybody. It was like this, like, this is our thing. It's fucking rock and roll. Yeah. And we're all gonna, we're all gonna get famous being like drunks. Was there a band that you were like, how did this, how did it not happen for them? That you were like- In that time frame. Everybody thought they would be the big band? Not that time frame, but before that, maybe like five or six before years before the strokes, when I was like in my like kind of more folky Dave Matthews -y, uh, like listening to a lot of Jeff Buckley kind oh, of phase, yeah. mm -hmm. there was this guy named John Lardieri uh, who was had this band called Twin A. You I'm know John Lardieri? John. Yeah, John and I did a show, a Jeff Buckley uh, tribute show actually. John, great guy. Great guy, wrote and these amazing musician, wrote these phenomenal songs. And like me and my friends would go see him at like the Lions Den in New York City or yeah. CBGB's or like, yeah, we would see him there at CBGB's. And he was opening for Pete Yorn for a while too. So he was yeah. like with Pete. So we thought he was going to make it and it just never happened. But it yeah. It just never happened. And he made like a couple really cool records. And um, I think because he was like, he was that like, it was like folk with a little bit of rock. It was like, I think it was like a little late for its time, if that makes sense. Not in like an insulting way. Blend of, uh, yeah, you're right. There was uh, too many singer songwriters that were doing what he was doing, even though he did it really well. Amazingly he, uh, well. He didn't have a brother like Pete Yorn did, who was uh, connected to the system. So. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Pete yeah, Yorn's brother is a pretty big deal. We, we like knew all of his songs. We went and see him play. We were singing them. He had 
like mixtapes, bootlegs, and like, he's yeah, awesome. he was so good. He's yeah, so so good. He was phenomenal, and like he just it just never popped for him. And I don't know if he hung it up, and that's why we stopped going and seeing him. But like, I know at one point he like moved away, and the band was cool. He had like a cool looking band. There was three guys. One of them was like this like six foot four black dude who played the bass who was cool uh, shit. Good luck. And like good luck yeah, for a band. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think part of why John Lottieri didn't make it, he's not uh he's not a bad looking guy, but he's not a handsome man. Or he's not like a he was like a heavier set dude with a shaved bald head. And he was like inter- he was like a good enough looking guy, but like it was kind of the time of like part of why the strokes fucking made it is because women wanted to fuck him. Yeah. yeah. He was a, he was and, like a, a modern like, <laughs> yeah like like now you know like you know no one's gonna fuck like randy newman doesn't get an album now <laughs> no he just writes for pixar movies you know yeah. like in back like just like yeah he would be the guy i write the jingles for the shows um, yeah your next your next artist uh again from meet me in the bathroom this is a, a band that the strokes or a, an artist that the strokes sort of took under their wing championed a little bit this song uh, yeah. is Poor Little Rich Boy by Regina Spector. Let's hear a little bit about this and then we'll talk about Regina Spector. I thought you were going to do your joke. What? I forgot what it Oh, yeah, I said to Paul. Oh, yeah, Poor Little Rich Boy is about the strokes. <laughs> I'm so good I forgot my own jokes here. This is like, a, is this a deep cut of hers? Because I didn't know this song. It's the second track on Soviet Kitsch. Okay. So what's the story? What's your story with Regina? I just loved her. I found her in that same period of like early 2000s. Well, this is fucked up. I saw her in concert open for the Strokes, mm-hmm. which they talk about Meet Me in the Bathroom. Yeah. And I was blown away. And then Kings of Leon were also on that show. So it was Regina Spector, Kings of Leon, and the Strokes. Phenomenal lineup. And... uh I had, she wasn't even listed on the ticket. So I had no way of knowing who she was. And then like four or five years later, I'm like living in a Ukrainian village in Chicago. And there's these like really cool ladies that are kind of hanging out with the crew of guys I'm in. And they just kind of like somehow like randomly show up in our life. And you know, that like boozy twenties, like two cool chicks were a bunch of cool guys. And one of them gave me that record and it blew my mind. It's like, and then, like, a little bit after that, I found that song of The Strokes and Her, because they have one single together. Um, and I was like, oh, shit, this is the lady I saw open for The Strokes, but I, like, didn't know about it for years. And I loved it so much. Yeah. She doesn't, she, uh, doesn't get a lot of credit that she deserves for that time period. And even now, I mean. Yeah, she's like, and also, like, I grew up on Billy Joel, and I know a lot of people like to shit on him, but the man's a genius and like writes really cool music. And, uh, you know, like was super inspiring to me as a kid as like a, you can get the fuck out of here kind of music. Like you can be artistic, you can be blue collar, you can be from New York and you could still, and she kind of has that same feel, but it's like the immigrant version of that. It's like, you know, I came from Russia. My parents are Russian. I'm quirky. I'm weird, but I still make like my version of like, folk punk rock and roll and this song is very much that it's this like kind of weird stripped down like fun lyrics it's just like a piano and a drumstick banging on like what sounds like a table and it's like fun lyrics that are like 
super smart. Like she's talking about Hemingway, Fitzgerald. And, but at the same time, it's just like a song about a guy who's like, stop bitching and complaining, rich kid. Yeah. <laughs> but also like has like a kind of a sweet feeling for him. Right. When I, which which uh, stroke do you think it's about? We're trying. <laughs> I mean, she wrote, she made, she made that album before she knew the strokes. Allegedly. Yeah, they seeked her out, right, or something, or they saw her, and they. The, the guy, the guy who made her record, also was making the strokes record. Yeah. And like gave gave like demos to Julian, and he like tried to get her on RCA. Yeah. And RCA was like, the dude who ran RCA was like, she's great, but people will see her as your guy's protege, and it probably will hurt her career. Interesting. And, and and like she ended up becoming way more famous. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of like proteges as well, Kings of Leon, another thing you learn in that book, like young dudes, young band. They were like 19 and 20 yeah. when they got scooped up. Maybe like a 17 year old cousin in the band too or something. Uh, yeah. One guy was the, the cousin is too young. The three brothers the, and the cousin. Yeah. yeah and the, the cousin who plays bass is like 16, I think they said, or maybe younger, like 15. Yeah. And they took him on the road you, and you taught him to play bass. You, you have them on your third song, Red Morning Light. Let's get into it before we talk about that. This is uh, Kings of Leon. God. This, I told Paul, this is like my like peak Kings of Leon. Like this sound right here, I'm just like, oh man. This it's, is it's bad how good they are. I mean, they're, they're still great, I think, but that album. That album, their first EP, which is three tracks, the one with the cherries on it, this album and the album after this, phenomenal. Like, lights out, good rock and roll. And people would say they're like the Southern Strokes, but I feel like they're like not that similar. I feel like they're really doing their own thing. And that's why they're not in the same vein as like a, um, what do you call them? Who the fuck's the guy? Uh, or the the hives and the yeah, vine. yeah, yeah. Vines. I mean, they have that like that punk feel songs, but then they have the, the brooding songs that are like almost like ballads in 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 within a song, and they're all fucking awesome. Even their hits, it's like one of those things where people like to shit on them. Uh, this guy over here, Marty. <laughs> I think they're great. I I really I do, and I, and. Uh, you know, I remember not knowing who they were and running into Falwell at a bar on a Monday in LA, what right before they blew up, and just being everyone's like, "That guy's going to be a stud," and you know, like <laughs> he's a weirdo. He's wearing a fur coat on a Monday. <laughs> in LA, yeah, but it's so funny because yeah, these records I felt like similar, and I felt like I discovered them because I got it in that shop in Ireland. So like. And they were, I was, it was in that period when I was living abroad, I was living in London and it made me feel like a connection to home. Like I'm not Southern, but that is American music. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so when I, when I was living over there, having that CD really made me like, it was like, okay, yeah, this is a good fucking American rock and roll CD. You know, it's like Cretans Clearwater Revival kind of shit, you know? And so it just had a huge impact on me. And then recently, just like after reading Meet Me in the Bathroom, I was like, I would love to find that first record on vinyl. And I was doing a show in Springfield, Missouri. There's a great record shop there called Heavy Head Records. And I found it and I was just going you through. Can't mention, and you can't mention names here. We don't want, uh, they're not a sponsor. So what's this record store called the people around there? Heavy Head Records in Springfield, Missouri. Dope shop. 
And I, and yeah. And so I picked that up and it was so good. How do you feel about the band recently or so their, their progression or whatever? Um, I listened to the new record. I got like a little bit through it. I thought it was fine, but I wasn't like, there was a couple songs where I was like, this is pretty good, but yeah. it, nothing, it didn't grab me enough where I'm like, Oh my God, the new record where I feel like the new strokes record might be it's not their best record but it is their best record does that make sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like their 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 first two records are their best records but if this like if they would have put this record out as their third record not now like 20 years later yeah. people would have been like they're going to be the greatest rock band of all time where like they put out two kind of clunker records that had amazing songs on them but weren't cohesive in the way that this record is. And it's fucking Rick Rubin. Mm -hmm. You put anybody in a studio with Rick Rubin, they're going to come out with their best record. And um, yeah, this new Strokes record's so good. I, I like the two songs. Yep. They came up, we did, a, we did a special, the best things that came out during the pandemic. And I think they had a couple yep. songs that, that made it on yeah. there, a couple of people's lists. But again, I, I, I saw them in concert too. And I, I'm just, I'm still kind of like a hater in a way. I saw them I saw them in concert. I do not remember it because I was blackout drunk. I remember seeing Regina Spector. I remember seeing Kings of Leon. I don't remember. They, they did I'm it. excited. Go ahead. Uh, I was excited for them to put out a new record and go back on tour post-pandemic because of the fact I would like to see what they're actually like live. Because you read Meet Me in the Bathroom and everyone talks about how great they are live. And I don't really remember much about I, it. I saw them on a tour with Fiona Apple and, and uh, of all people here in Northern Ooh. Island, 2003, 2004. And I was like, yeah, okay, but Kings of Leon, I will say, as as much as this guy's a hater, they put on a good they put on a good show, man. Sober or drunk, I know that he goes uh, back and forth. But. What? All right, thank you, Paul, for your it also feel it also feels like that he you do like Marty does like Kings of Leon. He just I likes those first couple records. I like, I like old Kings of Leon for sure. Yeah, he doesn't want to get hate mail because uh, I get all this hate mail from people that that shit on. He me doesn't first. like Scott, and I and yeah. I give him shit about it rightfully so. And then, well, I mean, it's terrible music. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but also, but but uh, but but also, to be fair, it's good terrible music. Thank you. It's okay. it's like good bad. I, I, it's like good bad music that you should like. I listened to Real Big Fish. That would have been on my mixtape. Yes. You know, back in the day. One of the greatest tweets ever. Or the specials. Yeah. One of the greatest tweets I ever saw. Somebody described ska music as the sound in a 14 year old's boy when he gets an extra mozzarella stick. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's it. That's it right there. Uh, your number four band, Little Joy. I don't, I don't know this band. Okay. Love it. The song's called uh, The Next Time Around. Sounds a little ska right there. <laughs> I know some guys who could make this a real ska song. Here it comes. It's about to kick in. Yeah. It's a great song, man. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, especially I know you can't play the whole thing, but at the end, there's a great breakdown and everyone's singing in Spanish. Uh, this beautiful woman's voice. So this band is a band that only has one record and it's a fucking bummer that they only have one record. And this was one of the Stroke side projects. Oh, oh really? I thought Paul, it sounded like it should be in a Wes Anderson movie. Yes, 100%. And, it's the, a, it's, the protagonist is going to get that girl. He's going to like go back and he's done being a fuck up and he's going to get that girl. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Rocket, Wes Anderson. Yeah. 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 And that's the kind of shit I was watching at that time too. So this, I think is the best, um, you know, like I think some of the voids records are cool. I think some of the, um, Albert Hammond records are cool. Uh, but I think this is the best Strokes solo project. Is there anyone in the band that's in this? It's the drummer. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Fabrizio. Fabrizio. Yeah. Oh, okay. For, I didn't know he was in the band. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and it's funny because there's a couple tracks that kind of, it sounds like it is a, like the lead singer could be Julian Casablanca, but he's actually like a famous Spanish poet. And, the, and like, so it's like this weird record and I think the guy went on to like do a bunch of cool soundtrack music for like Narcos and stuff like that. And it's, it's just this like th that weird period where like in between the, uh, it came out in 2008. It's in between like all the first, it's after the first two Strokes records when they weren't sure what they were doing. Uh, you know, Albert Hammond Jr. was doing a bunch of heroin. Julian Casablanca was kind of making his own music. And like, it was that like rough period of the Strokes. And it's like, I think, I think if this would have been a Strokes record, people would have lost their minds. You know what I mean? Good or bad? Good. Really? I think people, yeah, I think people would have been like, oh, we did not see this coming out of the Strokes. Like it's a much more like dreamier, beachier record. Yeah. It's not, the album kind of sounds like the Strokes went on vacation to South America. I like that. Yeah. yeah. That's fun. Uh, and then finally, your last band, this song to me doesn't, like when I think of, the Walkmen. This is not the kind of. Did they change their sound or something? Or okay, so Let, like uh, before you say anything, let's play a little of the rap. That's the song you put to close out here. Yeah, I was like shocked that this is a Walkman song. Okay, so what were you gonna say, Jam? jamming out uh, Prius in the 2016 baby yeah what um, are you gonna say about the song I so I, I i picked this song partially because of meet me in the bathroom uh so we i guess you guys talk about it a lot yeah. but jonathan fire eater was this band that was like the precursor to the strokes yeah. have you talked about it on the pod before no no but i know from the book it's like they talk about yeah. it all the book. They, so that band was like the first band out of new york where people are like rock and roll is back and they kind of burned out they made a record it went nowhere and then those guys kind of put their tail between their legs and went back to washington dc and then that band became the walkman um and so it's kind of like a, the beginning is the end kind of thing where I'm like, they are actually the precursor of the strokes and then became this great band, the Walkman. And I think the song, the rat isn't my favorite Walkman song, but it's like, it's like the more harder edge version of that time period of like less poppy than the strokes. And the Walkman are a band that never really got their due. I feel like. Yeah. And also, I think it's because they're kind of all over the place. I think they have a lead singer who wants to be like this kind of lounge singer act thing. Like he has, he has this amazing voice that dances all over the place. But at the same time, he wants to kind of be like a, something else. And then it's this rock band that is a fucking kick you in the teeth rock band. Uh, the, I think the drummer in the Walkman is pound for pound the best drummer in rock and roll in the past two decades oh. which is a 
crazy statement. I mean, I don't listen know if you're to, qualified to make such a statement, JF. Listen to this album. Listen to that song, and then listen to the album. I think the the Walkman's best record is their last record. It's an album called You and Me, and it's like just this phenomenal like moody rock and roll record that where the drum tracks on it are just insane. Um, and I picked the rap because it was kind of from the beginning of that period versus the you and me stuff, even though I think that's better because I knew it was going to be the last one. So I wanted to go out on a rocker. I think my first uh, Walkman song was we've been had. So in my head, they're like a granddaddy type of band of like real chill, like yeah. surfer dudes would listen to. That's so funny. Cause I think of them as like, you know heroin adjacent rock and so roll crazy yeah i'll have to listen to them more to get into some of those yeah and, and um you know that drummer has since gone on like when the walkman split up he stood in for took over for father john misty uh in flea foxes and he was their touring guy him and the dude from interpol just put out a record together um that's like pretty good um i feel like it kind of underutilizes his amazing drum skills but yeah, and they're just like one of those like the Walkman. I feel like is like the band, like in the same way that the Kings of Leon really made it, and the Strokes really made it. The Walkman's the band that didn't make it, and I don't know exactly why, because especially on that last record with like you and me, they had so many songs on there that could have been like a soundtrack hit that took them to the next level. In the way that like Regina got Specter got famous because some of her songs were put in movies and it really well maybe they made the decision i mean some people weren't were making decisions not to license songs and whatnot so who knows yeah yeah well that was a good mix jf thank you Glad i feel we like we're, i feel like we're back in 2000 you know i'm yeah. gonna uh set my vcr go out drink a little bit come home watch some uh you know, Monday Night Raw, maybe, or uh, some some uh, Nitro or something like that, and listen to you some tunes of shows from 2000. Watch yeah, <laughs> Buffy, Buffy, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gilmore Girls is on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I jump into a river. Excellent. Where uh, where can people find out more about what you got coming up in your special? Uh, uh, I'm June twelfth, St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm taping a special, and then in I'm literally I'm in like twenty cities over the next. Uh, like six weeks uh i'm coming i'm coming to your guys uh hometown of chicago i love the poster says lombard illinois yeah yeah it's like city 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 lombard illinois like <laughs> hell yeah baby. yeah I'm, I'm doing chicago i'm doing north bar uh this friday or next uh, like yeah, in a week sure. friday and then um yeah i'm doing lombard illinois the week after that uh i'm in Home san francisco What's no, up? Glendale. Oh, Glendale. He went yeah, to school Glendale. at Lombard, the high school. He went to That's high school. Funny. High school, Billy. That's funny. I, uh, I'm going to, hopefully he'll come to the show then. I remember being at the bottom lounge before they tore it down because my friend was in this band. The, the old bottom lounge. Yeah. Uh, before they tore it down, my friend was in a band called The Sun. Or it wasn't even my friend. It was my roommate's friend was in a band called The Sun that was like in town touring, opening for somebody cool. I think like the Von Bondies or something like that. And we went and hung out in the green room and Jimmy Eha was in there. And I was like, holy shit, that's Jimmy Eha. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, the royalty. Yeah. yeah but anyway. Up, yeah, thanks for having me. If people want, follow me on Instagram. It's at the JF Harris. I put up like five or six stand-up clips a week in there. 
And then, uh, yeah, I'm on tour. So whatever city you live in, come out and see a show. Uh, if you we'll bug you feel next time. Maybe we'll go, uh, maybe we'll go hip hop next time. We'll have you back on and we'll do some like New York hip hop. Oh, I mean, I could do a whole just straight up Wu-Tang top five. Here we go. There you go. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Thanks for having me guys.